Our first reading is out of the uh, letter from Jude, beginning with verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And we continue in Romans. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Before we begin, I just want to uh, make mention to you that uh, Kino Knudsen is going to have um, surgery on Tuesday in Mason City. They've discovered some uh, lumps on his neck and his nose that are cancerous, and so um, they will be doing some surgery, and he had just asked that I would let you know that this morning and, and uh, that you would keep him in prayer these next couple of days, and, and uh, he just said he just knows that that will be a, a wonderful addition to the time he spends. We'll give him a, a piece, and so I'm asking you that you would do that, keeping Kino Knutson in your prayers in these next few days. With that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just uh, thank you and praise you, Lord, for that love and grace that uh, daily sustains us. And Lord, the blessings that you uh, just rain upon us in more ways than we can ever imagine. It's amazing, Lord, that if we would stop and listen and look, how much we might see that you are active in our lives. If we would look back and, and see what things that have happened and how you've moved so wonderfully in our lives, that you've been active in more ways than we could ever imagine. But such love and grace is what's always available because, Lord, Lord you love your children so much. And so, Lord, again, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come together today to worship. We thank you for this body of Christ, and we just ask your anointing, your blessing upon us, that we might be that body of Christ that you've called us to be, a people of love and grace that care for one another, a people who are powerful in witness and strength that will go out and share the gospel, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, that this world around us might find the hope and the salvation that comes through such a God who loves his people so much. And so, Lord, again, we just uh, thank you for your presence with us today because that's your promise. You never leave us. You uh, never forsake us. That you're always as close as that next prayer and never more than a breath away. And so, Lord, we know that as we set uh, each and every one here into your hands and, and that we set those we 
trust and love to you that, Lord, you'll be in a special way ministering to each one in the unique way that only you can. And, Lord, we ask a special blessing in all of those who are on our prayer list, for we know, Lord, each is precious to you. And, Lord, we just ask, Lord, as you know the deepest desires of their heart, that, Lord, you would just be there in a wonderful presence. Even now, as we pray this prayer, that, Lord, it would uh, go up to you as a, a wonderful fragrance. And it would come down in a multitude of blessings to each and every one um, as you minister to them uniquely through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, again, just uh, be there for those on that prayer list and, and speak to their hearts and uh, just allow your spirit to flow that they might find that healing in their lives. They set their hearts upon you physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. May you bless them richly. And, Lord, we just had a special blessing this morning on Kino Knudsen that you would just be with him and Donna in a special way that they would know your presence and your love in a powerful, powerful way. There would just be a peace in Kino's heart that he would know that, indeed, that uh, you're watching over him and preparing the way. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful gift of, of medicine and the doctors and nurses and all who are so wonderfully skilled and blessed. But, Lord, behind all things stands you. And so, Lord, I just ask for that blessing of your spirit to be upon Kino now, that he would feel that peace, that he would feel that comfort, that he would feel that sense that, indeed, Lord, there is no safer, better place to be than in your arms. And that, Lord, as we pray before, that it would just be like a warm blanket that covers him, for he would know he's safe with you. And, Lord, again, just remind him that you are preparing the way, that everybody that will minister to him, Lord, is already in your hands, and you're already enhancing their skills, and you're already speaking to their hearts, and that, Lord, uh, he isn't going to be alone at any time as you walk with him from now all the way through the surgery and on to recovery. And that, Lord, we just ask that anointing for a wonderful healing, that he would find a, a complete healing and that the cancer would be no more. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for this, the, the privilege of coming into your presence and setting you loose in all situations of our lives. And now, Lord, we thank you and praise you in the name of our son, Jesus Christ, your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You know, I was... Just thinking of this morning, we were talking about sermons, and, and David was saying that, you know, sometime he should just come over here and preach, and I should do that, you know, lay stuff. And, you know, I said, that'd be fine. And, uh, and then somehow or other, I got in this conversation, and I said, you know, the very first sermon that I preached, we had this gentleman that was in this church. This was in Jamestown, North Dakota. And he, you know, they had these, they had the ushers that were ushers for like ever, and he was kind of like the one who, who would critique the sermons. And so as I was coming out and uh, to go to greet the, the families, he looked at me and he said, too short, too short, too short. And Joe Pakuski said, I bet you've never heard that since. <laughs> You're right. You're right, Joe, I haven't. You know, I was wanting to... Um, preach through the Apostles' Creed at some point, and I just thought today is a wonderful day to start that because the Apostles' Creed has always been a critical part uh, of baptism within a church. And uh, it was this time of year that what would happen is that people would be instructed 
through the Apostles' Creed, but it actually, they would go through instructions for two to three years. And then on, uh, on the day before Easter, they would uh, all come together and all those who were to be baptized would be baptized at that time. And they would be baptized in the name of the Father, that would be the first uh, immersion in the Son, the second immersion, and then the third uh, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then they would have to recite the whole Apostles' Creed and uh, proclaim their belief in that creed, and then they were accepted as membership into the church. And since we're in that time of the Lenten service, I've decided that I'm gonna preach, and um, I'm gonna start today, which actually means that I'm gonna have to kind of elongate it, so I'm gonna actually have 16 um, different sermons on the Apostles' Creed, because I needed to go through all of the events of Easter and Pentecost. Um, because that's what it covers. And so I'm going to start today with just talking about the Apostles' Creed, and then um, we will talk about all the petitions um, in the days ahead. And I hope that you'll be here, because uh, this, is, this has always been the critical uh, creed of the church. It's the oldest creed in the church. Um, it's what ties us together as Christians universal. Um, so one thing that we have in common that we can agree on, because, you know, for most of us, Orthodox, you know, Western, Eastern, Catholic, you know, Protestant, we don't agree on anything. Um, and I can tell you some interesting stories on that, too. But um, the reality is, is that this was something that we could agree on, even though, a, you know, some people have trouble with the word Catholic. For the most part, um, we can agree on this Apostles' Creed as Christians and believers in Christ. You know, doubts often rise from misunderstanding. And doubts about Christianity usually have far more to do with likes and dislikes, hurt feelings, and social and intellectual and cultural snobbery than doubters would like to admit. Woody Allen once said, I've been plagued with doubts. How can I believe in a God when just last week I caught my tongue in the roll of my electric typewriter? If only God could give some clear sign, like making a large deposit in a Swiss bank in my name, then I could believe. Theology is the study of God. What do you believe about God? That means that we all have a theology, even atheists. What do you believe or don't believe about God? Even if you don't believe in God, you still have a theology about God. We all have a theology. But not everyone, obviously, has a good theology. And so the question I ask you, if someone came up to you, could you explain what you believe about God to someone else? And when you explained it, would it make sense? And would it be consistent with what the Bible says. In worship, the Apostles' Creed is said in unison, but the opening words are these, I believe. I believe. Each worshiper seeks in this corporate time to speak for him and herself what they believe about God. Romans 10.8 says that faith springs from what we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. And in the early church, just like today, there were many false teachers in the world and in the church that were trying to lead people astray. And that's why the church found that they needed something of substance that they could agree on. 
So early on in that church, they decided they needed to put together a clear and concise statement that defined the Christian faith very clearly against all false teaching. Now, people sometimes say, we don't need a creed, we have Jesus. And that's fine. But what exactly, or which exactly, Jesus do you have? Which Jesus? Muslim Jesus? Hindu Jesus? Orthodox Jesus? Liberal Jesus? Evangelical Jesus? You see, there are all sorts of religions and philosophies and people in the world, and the reality is that most of them believe something about Jesus. Most of them have some understanding about Jesus. So exactly which Jesus do you believe in? Because what you believe about Jesus is what really matters. The moment you say you only need Jesus, you need to state who that Jesus is and what you believe about that Jesus and why you need only that Jesus. It isn't sufficient to say, I believe in Jesus. The purpose of knowledge is that we might apply it to our lives, that we may live what we believe. And this is no truer than in Christianity, where true knowledge is precisely correct knowledge about God. What do you believe about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because you're the only people who believe in a triune God. No other religion, no other philosophy does. In the 20th century, for whatever reason, well, I know the reason, we started to streamline the gospel. I prefer to say we began to dumb down the gospel. And the idea behind it was, how little information can we, can we get out to people um, to, so they'll know they become Christians? You know, what are those magic words that we can say? That's, that's all they need to know. You know, how, how much can we just kind of streamline the gospel so people will know that they're Christian? And as a result, we have far more Christians today who can't really share their faith because they don't know really what they believe, and their people are filled with doubt and anxiety and fear. When God wants us to be filled with assurance and hope and joy. And that comes when we can articulate our faith, when we know what we believe, when we confess with our mouth and know in our heart what we truly believe and trust in. You see, on one level, to believe simply means to hold a proposition to be true, such as, I believe there's a God. You know, I'm sure 95% of the people in the world can say, I believe in God. And this is simply believing something to be true or false. But a deeper level of belief has to do with trust. Are you willing to commit your life to doing what you say you believe? You know, Jesus said, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. If you truly love Jesus, are you being obedient to whom Jesus is calling you to be? Are you examining your life to say, you know, that's really who I am, a follower of Jesus, living by his word? Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 
The Spirit says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. So watch your life. Watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. What you believe is important because if you have conviction and you can share it with that conviction and with the truth and with love, you can save other people's lives because they'll bind your faith because they see you live it. They see it making a difference in the world. They see that you have something they want. And so Paul says if you live with that, you know, reality, you can save both yourself and your hearers. You know, the unfortunate thing is that for many people and many leaders in our church today, doctrine has really become that embarrassing uncle. You know, that one guy that we're related to but that nobody wants to talk about? And doctrines and creeds are just like that. They're that embarrassing uncle. Because, you see, it's our doctrines and creeds that distinguish us one from another. It's our doctrines and our creeds that tell us that God became human in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, no other religion in the world, no other philosophy in the world believes that. In fact, all the other religions and philosophies in the world claim that such a statement is actually arrogant and blasphemous. And so we don't want to talk about what we believe, because these things are so divisive. And we don't want to have that contention, even though the end result is whether or not people actually enter into eternal salvation. You know, why do you think Jesus sends us forth with the commission of Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I've commanded you. That's our commission, folks. And you better know and come to what you believe, because you will be held accountable. You know, the church was only 30 years old when Paul wrote to Timothy, and already there were many false beliefs and challenges to what the apostles taught. And Paul was concerned that Timothy and all of us could possibly be blown off course by every wind of false teaching and deceiving spirit if we didn't hold to what the apostles were teaching. Today, the church in America is being besieged like it has never been before. And we face a pagan ignorance about God every bit as deep in which that early church faced in the Roman Empire. And I guarantee you no ABC approach to Christianity will ever prove to be sufficient. We need to know and believe the whole story of God's redeeming love and grace from eternity to eternity. We need to move away from a radical shift of self-centeredness to one of Christ-centeredness. And that, my friends, is the whole purpose behind the Apostles' Creed. Now, I'm afraid we are more unprepared to give an answer to what and why we believe 
than we have ever been before in our church. More than ever, our whole denominations, more than ever, whole denominations are waffling on critical issues in order to be relevant to the world and not offend anybody. Did Jesus Christ ever offend anybody? Maybe you need to read the Gospels. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of what the early church believed to be the direct teaching of the Apostles. Now, you know, the church always tends to do goofy things. And so, you know, when they wanted to convince people of this, they, they came up with a little legend. You know, legends are always kind of some way that we can make people think that something is more than it really is. And so the legend of the Apostles' Creed goes that uh, shortly after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon that church, and before the Holy Spirit sent all the apostles out to the four corners of the earth, that for one last time, the apostles came together, and each one of them pinned one line of the Apostles' Creed, and that that line would be that they would share those lines together and they would compose the Apostles' Creed and that would be um, the Holy Spirit's gift that each one of them would take out into the world so the world would know the exact teaching of the Bible. Now, I guarantee you that's a whole lot more legend than it is fact. But the fact is this. The Apostles' Creed, which is clearly based on the four Gospels, Everything in that creed is gospel-centered. It is the, also the oldest and most concise expression of the core beliefs of Christianity. And we know that as early as the first century and no later than the second century, this was the creed of the church. That means when John died about 90-95 A.D., there's a good chance that this creed was already circulating as the Apostles' Creed, the creed of the church. That means for 1,900 years, this has been the creed that has drawn us together as the body of Christ. This is what the church universal has agreed on, is the teaching of the apostles and the gospels. The Apostles' Creed uniquely ties us to the church universal in all times and to faith and to the faith of the apostles. Even if they didn't write it, it wonderfully expresses what the apostles believed, taught, and died for. You know, there's a great story in, in, the, in the Bible. And you go into Corinthians, and the apostle Paul was out preaching the gospel um, for three to five years before he ever had any contact with the apostles. And so he goes to the church in Jerusalem because he wants to talk to Peter and James, a brother of Jesus, and to see if, if what he has been taught by Christ, because you read the story, he was direct, directly taught the gospel through Jesus. He didn't learn it from somebody else. And the apostles were, were taught directly from Jesus. They didn't learn from anybody else. But these two groups of people, I shouldn't say, Paul and, and the apostles, had never shared their faith together. And when they came together, they found they were teaching exactly the same thing. 
Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And that Apostles' Creed, I believe, is exactly what Paul had been taught from Christ and what the Apostles had been taught by Christ. And it's what we are to proclaim today. The Apostles' Creed reminds us of what we are to believe and what we are to confess when we are called upon to share our faith. And it gives us a concise way to speak of our faith to others. It reminds us what the true church has always believed, what the true church has always confessed when being attacked or being challenged. In our confused and creedless age that hesitates to acknowledge any unchanging truth, I believe that God has given to his church through the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit his word in creedal form, which we can offer assurance and confidence to those who are truly seeking the unconditional truth and the love of the one and only triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. My friends, may that be us. Amen.